Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 191 of our Bible studies together. Last time we finished the Gospel of Luke, uh, we left with the crucifixion and, of course, Christ's resurrection. And today we begin the book of Acts that tells about the birth of our church, what happened after Christ's resurrection. And in chapter 1, of course, we'll get to his ascension to the heavenly kingdom where he leaves our planet to go and create a new home for us. Now, um, I'm trying to decide where to go after Acts. Uh, some of you have been kind enough to uh, email your thoughts of where you would like to go. My current thoughts are after Acts to perhaps go back uh, into the Old Testament and start with Genesis. And then after Genesis, come back to the New Testament, maybe Matthew, then go back to Exodus and flip-flop back and forth. Uh, feel free to email your comments. Go to goodfriar.com. Click on Contact Me. I'm amenable to uh, anything. But uh, I wanted to start with Luke and Acts because Luke gave us a really good historical synopsis, uh, culminating essentially uh, stories from each of the Gospels into one large historical document. And we have to go through Acts uh, because it is the, the sequel to Luke and it gives us a sample of the birth of the church, something that's been forgotten. And as a matter of fact, before we get into Acts, I've made a few notes here. Um, a lot of our churches don't cover uh, an important point about what happened uh, with the birth of our church, the Church of Jesus Christ. The church was originally called the Way. Why the way? Because Jesus Christ is our way to salvation. And many of our early church leaders uh, died in the name of Jesus Christ. As an example, Simon Peter, uh, this is not recorded in the Gospels. Uh, Origen, uh, a church leader uh, sometime in the eighty two hundreds or so, uh, recorded that Simon Peter was crucified in Rome with his head downward. And we know from John uh, 21 that Jesus told Peter, when you are old, you, are, you will stretch out your hands. And Jesus uh, said this to Simon Peter to let him know what kind of death uh, he would uh, uh, would come to him in order to glorify God. Andrew, uh, Peter's brother, uh, was crucified on an X-shaped cross. And this was recorded in a book, again, written in the AD 200s called The Acts of Andrew. Uh, James, son of De Zebedee, uh, was the first disciple to die as a martyr. He was executed by uh, Herod Agrippa. Uh, he was probably beheaded with a sword. 
We'll find this out in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 12. John, brother of James, uh, happened to die a natural death uh, somewhere around AD 100 in what is now Ephesus, Turkey. Uh, Philip was crucified in Turkey. Uh, that's a, a traditional recording. Bartholomew was skinned alive and beheaded after preaching in India, according to, to one tradition. Uh, but the martyrdom of Bartholomew uh, says that he was stuffed in a sack and dumped into the sea. Thomas was speared to death in, uh, in India after he started several churches there. Uh, Matthew was martyred with an axe or a sword in Ethiopia, according to many traditions. James, son of Alphaeus, was crucified in Egypt, according to one tradition, and another tradition has him in Iran. Thaddeus, a Judas, son of James, was uh, crucified or hacked to death with Simon the Zealot in what is now Iran, according to one story. Simon the Zealot was martyred with Thaddeus in Iran, according to one tradition. Another story says that he was cut in two with a saw. We know what happened to James Iscariot. I, uh, uh, I discussed that before, but Matthew chapter 27 and 5 records that he went out and hanged himself. Matthias, who was chosen to replace Judas, was stoned and beheaded, according to one story. So why am I uh, sharing all of these with you? It's important to know uh, how dedicated and faithful to Jesus Christ our original brothers were. Our churches today have become... Uh, superficial at best. And, and that's why I'm, I'm trying and I'm doing the best I can, but I can do better, of course, in recording these studies chapter by chapter, verse by verse, recording exactly what is written in Scripture and expounding on that for you so that you can take to heart the words that God has recorded for us in order to understand what he wants us to know and how he wants us to live. And that's why I think it's important to go through Acts next. Uh, hopefully it will open your heart to the glorious, glorious works of our early disciples and apostles so that we can see how their faith went from remember how we, we recorded in Luke that the disciples that, that spent all those years with Christ at first didn't believe he was resurrected. But when Christ came back and showed himself to them and their hearts were filled with love and hope and joy at seeing our risen Lord and Savior, they knew 
who and what he is. Jesus Christ, Son of Man, Son of God, descended from heaven in order to put on this vile vessel of flesh to live a life as we do, to understand what it means to be human and to live that perfect life, to be our perfect sacrifice. These are the works of the men that were with Christ. And these are the works, as we will see, of Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament. Saul was the greatest persecutor of Christians until Christ, as we'll see, took hold of him on the road of Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he blinded Saul and chose him to be one of his apostles. Christ took the greatest persecutor of Christians and chose him to be one of his own. And one of his own, Paul became a great man of God, a great man of faith, wrote about half of the New Testament. And I thought it's important that you know these things before we begin so that you can keep those facts close to your heart. What trials and tribulations these men of God suffered to bring forth the word so that all future generations of man would have his word available to you. These men spread the gospel from the beginning. Okay? Keep that in mind as we begin. It is, of course, believed that Luke wrote Acts as well. And notice how he opens Acts just like he did the Gospel of Luke. He is recording again for Theophilus. Now, this writing occurred many years later. Some say 70 AD, some say 100 AD. That doesn't matter. What does matter is that Dr. Luke again records dutifully and thoroughly the Acts of the Apostles. Let's begin. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the forty days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." 
This is not the first time that the disciples heard about the Helper, also known as the Paraclete, or the Holy Spirit, that would come to help them. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 14 and 16. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another word used for the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. Uh, Luke, as a matter of fact, recorded something similar. Luke 24 and 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now, I could uh, read to you a, a few other places, but you get the idea. Christ let his disciples know ahead of time. You see, what's happening here is the church for Jesus Christ, the church uh, that the disciples, the apostles, are going out to create is something entirely new. Okay, the church was not the subject of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus Christ was the subject of Old Testament prophecy. Now, now what is the church? Uh, the church is is um, the church for Christ is composed of all believers from the time of Pentecost. And Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit is released on earth to the rapture. So from Pentecost to the rapture, that is the body of believers that makes up the bride, which we are, of Jesus Christ. Christ will return as king at the end of the Great Tribulation. Okay, we know this, and we'll go over tribulation prophecy. Some believe in uh, that the rapture will occur before the great tribulation. Some believe in the middle. Some believe after. I am what's called a pre-trib believer because that's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so first the rapture, then the great tribulation. After the great tribulation, Christ returns as king. He destroys all of his foes, and he, set up, he sets up his reign over the earth. A good reference for that is, uh, matter of fact, Psalms. Love the Psalms. Psalms 72 and 8. May he reign from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Desert nomads will bow before him. His enemies will fall before him in the dust. 
the western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. Okay? So the church is composed of all believers from Pentecost to rapture. Matter of fact, Ephesians 3 and 5 is a good one to read here. Matter of fact, let's go back to 4. As you read what I have written, you will understand, this is Paul writing, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his Spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, the good news is the way, the good news is Christ, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, we as believers are part of God's plan. We, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, we all share equally in the blessings inherited by God's children. Why? Because you and I are all part of the same body of Christ. We all belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses by telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, you see here how Jesus mentions, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And just a few verses before, he says, don't leave Jerusalem because the Father is sending the gift and the gift is the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he said, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, what is Christ talking about here? When John baptized with water, John's baptism was outward and physical. Here, Jesus is letting them know that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is inward 
and spiritual. Okay, remember, oh, let's go back to Matthew chapter 3. This would be good. Okay, and this is, this is John talking. Let's go, Matthew, yeah, let's start with 3 and 11. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area. We've gone over that before. Okay. And Luke is another one, of course. Uh, Luke 3 and 16. Uh, matter of fact, let's go back a little bit. 15. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered the questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is much greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, notice how Luke and Matthew sound pretty much the same. Okay, now, baptism with the Holy Spirit is inward and it's spiritual. And that's what Christ is letting them know here. And of course, he's also saying it is their job to spread the truth, the truth about Christ being the means to their salvation. Verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but some day he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now, here, these two men, uh, when we were in Luke and the angels appeared, uh, I went over different translations for you to show how the adjectives used to describe the angels in some translations were more um, colorful than others. But all of the translations here are, are very simple. This, this, this act of transcendence is amazingly subdued. Luke simply says, Christ is taken up into a cloud, and they couldn't see him anymore. A couple of men in white robes showed up, saying, Why are you staring into heaven? It's amazing how this, this phenomenal act is described in such a subdued manner. It, uh, it, it's really quite shocking. Now, of course, all of this took place on the Mount of Olives. And, uh, well, you know what we do have here 
is we have a, a clear promise of Christ's second advent, his second coming, uh, to set up the kingdom. Uh, here, Christ ascended from the Mount of Olives, and we know that Christ will return to the Mount of Olives. Uh, that's shown in uh, Zechariah uh, 14 and 4. Uh, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. You will see through this valley, for it will reach across to the Azal. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine, yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time, it will still be light. I could read more of that, but let's stop. Uh, we also know from here that Christ ascended into heaven personally, and we know he will return from heaven personally. Uh, that's recorded in uh, Malachi chapter 3. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Now, we know from here in Acts that Christ ascended from the Mount of Olives visibly. We know that he will return visibly. That's recorded in Matthew 24 and 30. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven.
Now, here on the Mount of Olives, he was received in heaven uh, as he was raised at a cloud. And we just know from that verse in Matthew uh, that he will descend on the clouds of heaven. We know that he ascended gloriously here from the Mount of Olives and also from Matthew 24 and 30. We know that he will return with great power and great glory. Verse 12. <clears throat> then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here, as a matter of fact, this is uh, the last time that all of the apostles are mentioned together. And as a matter of fact, uh, this is the last time that Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned. And that also mentions Jesus' brothers. Uh, James, of course, is one of Christ's brothers. Uh, I know that uh, somebody emailed me once that uh, uh, somebody told them that uh, Mary was a perpetual virgin. Uh, no, that's <laughs> that's not the case. Scripture mentions in a half a dozen cases I can think of off the top of my head uh, where Christ had brothers. Uh, Mary was the, the, the mother of uh, the physical vessel that Jesus Christ uh, resided in, the vessel of flesh, that she wasn't the mother of God. She was the, the mother of the vessel of flesh that uh, Christ resided in. But Jesus did have brothers. Uh, so, yeah, uh, continuing with verse 13, here are the names of those who are present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, there's, there's something that needs to be pointed out here. Um, it's a trick about uh, helping yourself lead, lead a good life and uh, a good life in Christ and a good life with brothers in Christ and a good church. Um, uh, and this is an example of where this translation of the Bible uh, might not be the best, at least for this verse. Uh, let me read verse 14 again. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Now, uh, if you're old like me, uh, you might be used to hearing a phrase with one accord. Uh, there's a total of 11 times in the book of Acts or Acts of the Apostles where that expression occurs. And um, it's a secret to unlock a blessing. Uh, matter of fact, let me read, uh, what is this? I have NIV over here on this screen. NIV reads differently. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer for verse 14. Now let's switch to New King James. And let me scroll a bit. They'd bounce around. 
verse 14 in New King James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and Christ's brothers. Now, let me switch to King James. Here it is. King James says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Now, New King James and King James does a really good job uh, with with phrasing that and what, at least to me, uh, makes the best sense about what is occurring. If one of the other translation works for you, great. Uh, I'll read NLT again. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Now, what am I getting to? Where brothers dwell together, where brothers commune together in unity, God commands the blessing life forevermore. What am I talking about? The best place to bring this up, and this is something you might want to bookmark for yourself, is Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is a song that pilgrims sung on the way to Jerusalem. It's a psalm of David. Uh, The NLT version reads like this. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing even life everlasting. One thing that God loves is that when brothers commune together, unite together, and pray together in harmony, harmonious, loving grace is extended by God, life forevermore when brothers live together like that and serve each other together like that. So often in churches today, there's, there's bickering, there's jealousy because people seek a blessing from man, acknowledgement from man. Look at me, I'm doing something. Look at me, I'm so important. None of us are important. God is important. Remember what Jesus Christ taught. The lowest among us in this life is the greatest in heaven. Our job, our duty is to serve one another, not look for validation from other human beings. We seek validation from God. And why am I pointing this out now? Because here in Acts, 
all of our apostles are united together and praying together. Why? Because a new apostle is about to be chosen. Why? To replace the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. And after the new apostle is chosen, the blessing of the Holy Spirit from God Almighty will be poured down upon them. They, the apostles, are giving us an example of how we are supposed to live, how we are supposed to serve one another. It is the best example we have of what it means to be brothers in Christ. Okay, next is verse 15. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Verse 18 is a parenthetical expression. Actually, verse 18 and 19 are. What that means is uh, Peter is inserting a historical context. So it's a parenthetical expression or enclosed in parentheses for verse 18 and 19. And then verse 20, Peter continues. So verse 18, parenthetical expression. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling head first there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood. Now, in Matthew, uh, verse 20, Matthew 27, 3 and 10, uh, it says that Peter hanged himself. So some say that, well, this account here in Acts is different than what Matthew says about Judas's death. But th that's not true. What we can do is put the two accounts together. Uh, we can say that uh, Judas hanged himself on a tree in the cemetery, but the rope probably broke and his body pitched forward, causing it to burst open. Uh, so that's why the field in uh, Jerusalem, which is known as Potter's Field, uh, came to be known as Akeldama, or the field of blood, or the bloody field. Okay. So verse 20, Peter continued, This was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, Let this home become desolate, with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So what Peter is doing is pulling up the prophecies that said the betrayal by Judas had to occur in order to fulfill the prophecies. Verse 21. 
So let me switch over to my other monitor here to show you um, Psalm, the prophecies that Peter's talking about. Uh, prophecies in Psalm 69 and 25. Oops, I have King James open here. Uh, hold on just a minute. Let me switch back. Okay, here we go. I try to, I, I grew up on King James, but uh, some people have mentioned to me that it's hard for them to understand King James, which is understandable. And so I try to stick to NLT or NIV uh, or something like that. Uh, or NASB or NRSV, but anyway, uh, when we uh, when we quote scriptures and read from scriptures, okay. So the, the, Peter is uh, quoting two uh, two prophecies. The first one is Psalm sixty nine and twenty five. That reads like this: May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. And the second one is Psalm uh, 109 and 8. Uh, may his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. The wrath of God is nothing to scoff at. Okay, so now that uh, Peter has highlighted that, he continues in verse 21. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John, until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So, uh, the apostles had two requirements for Judas' replacement. He had to be someone that was with the disciples for the three years of Christ's ministry. And those years were from his baptism to his ascension. And number two, he had to be able to bear a responsible witness to the resurrection of Christ. Okay, remember, that is one of the cornerstones of our faith. Verse 23. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. So what we see here is that Peter actually um, made a subdued account of the betrayal of Judas. Uh, and the men prayed in one accord before they chose their replacement. 
That is something I wish all of our brothers in Christ would do today. Work in harmony. Live in harmony. It's so important because God blesses us when we do so. It's what he wants of us. And that, that's something that uh, that's something that the book of Acts shows very well. I mean, already in chapter 1, uh, we've noticed the disciples praying on two different occasions. First, their prayer in the upper room following the, the ascension. And uh, next, for the, the guidance and choosing a successor to Judas. And then, of course, they cast lots, something that was very common culturally at that time. That concludes uh, book one of Acts. Uh, some of these chapters are a little bit smaller uh, than we're used to. So this, uh, this Bible study is a little bit shorter, but that's okay. Um, as always, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to contact me. Uh, it's no problem at all. I'm here to serve. But as always, I want to leave you with a blessing. Glorious Heavenly Father, as I raise my right hand, please extend through me to all who are listening or whoever will listen to this in the future. Your blessing of Numbers 624-26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, God bless.